show number 33 of I Read Comics. goodness, where does the time go? Another show, and I haven't even gotten to the Leah Hernandez interview. That'll be next time. But I have so many things that I need to review. So let me start very quickly, before we get to the reviews, with an email that came from one of the listeners. And this refers back to the infamous, infamous rant I did about Eric Larson. Sorry, Eric fucking Larson. And he says... I listened to your rant about Eric Larson and men talking about women in comics, which kind of turned into an exploitation of women in comics, on my way to work last night, and I felt compelled to write you. I really didn't see where you were coming from. Why does it matter who is looking at an issue, this one being about women in comics, as long as it's coming from a good place, you know? And it was bothering me for a while after, because I really wanted to understand your viewpoint, not just hear it. So I was thinking and thinking and thinking about it, and then it hit me. I'm a black male, and the very last thing I want to hear about is a group of white men, and women, but especially men, talking about, quote, black issues, unquote, and why we are the way they think we are. Furthermore, the representation of blacks in media has been pretty piss-poor since forever. It's not as bad as it used to be, but it still isn't as true as it could be across the board. I see more authors writing black folks the way they think we are, or have seen us portrayed in the movies, than how we actually are, just like everybody else. There was a joke on Scrubs this past week where J.D., a white guy, was filming a movie with his best friend Turk, a black guy, called Dr. Acula, the vampire who's a doctor. Ha! During the filming of a scene, J.D. wasn't happy with Turk's performance and told him, Damn it, Turk, act blacker. That's how I feel blacks are in comics and in media a lot of the time. That was my long-winded way of saying I can see, or at least to some degree, I know there are differences. Your point now. So I just thought that was kind of cool that somebody made the connection between um, portrayal of women and portrayal of um, non-straight white guys, because I think it's completely valid, and I was so happy to get that. So I'm going to do very quickly a review of the one thing that doesn't make, doesn't make me happy this week, because everything else makes me so fucking happy. But this this thing, I have to say, it's time for me to say bye-bye to Ultimate Spider-Man, because I just can't read it anymore. <laughs> I got this from the library. It's like three weeks overdue now because I was trying to think of good things to say and I really just couldn't. And I really want to return it and pay the fine and have it be out of my life forever. (laughs) Like breaking up with a boyfriend. This is the hardcover collection of Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 4. Still being written by Brian Michael Bendis and still being penciled by Mark Bagley. And I just don't like it anymore for the same reasons that I've talked about before. Um, in this case, the art is really, really getting to me. I am sorry, I don't like Mark Bagley's art. I thought it was pretty cool in the Venom issues when Spider-Man was fighting a real supervillain that was a monster, and I would have loved to see more Spider-Man fighting monsters, but there aren't any monsters, there's just other people. And there's just too much angst with Mary Jane and too much angst with Aunt May, and there's what seems like a whole issue devoted to Aunt May talking to her shrink, which I could clearly show without, do without. I mean, I kind of thought that the storytelling was supposed to be show, not tell, and there's like six pages of dialogue of Aunt May just telling and telling and telling. So I just got a little bored with that. Um, And... (laughs) 
the plots kind of go and we see some recurring characters and, and I guess it's all building up to something, but it doesn't quite reach a climax here. Um, I really, really don't like the way the character's eyes are getting bigger and shinier and looking at me in that creepy Jesus looking at you way. It seems like every page are big, glossy eyes staring at her faces everybody's faces, no matter who they are. And Gwen Stacy still looks like a 45-year-old Denny's waitress who's had a hard life. And I really did not like the way that the X-Men were in here. I mean, not the characters. I don't like the way the women were drawn. Um, it occurs to me that Mark Bagley has a fetish for women's bellies because every woman in here under the age of 60 is drawn with her midriff showing in a shirt. Every single one of them. And they all have completely toned six-pack abs no matter who they are and and the x-men women are pretty much like that too and then there's cat woman sorry black cat black cat is what she's called here and she's pretty much lips big big glossy eyes and um big fake tits and um a costume that's drawn in such a way that you can pretty much see her her genitals outlined in every shot, which is a little disturbing to me. Um, it also is a little disturbing to me that she's so interested in a 15-year-old boy. You know, can't she tell he's a 15-year-old boy, like the way his voice must crack? Hi! When he's talking to her. I don't quite get that, but then, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that's the fantasy, right? That she's this incredible stacked... Um, daring burglar with beautiful long white hair and big fake tits and everything and of course she's hot for a 15 year old geek that's pretty much comics isn't it <laughs> superhero comics anyway and then there's Electra, who's really kind of boring and there's a cat fight here between Electra and black cat um, notable for the fact that that mark bagley manages to draw the women in porn poses through quite a lot of it um you know, I had never really noticed that much before until um, somebody had pointed it out on one of their blogs that women are invariably drawn in provocative sort of porny poses even when they're fighting. And by God, they really are in here. So that's, you know, not remarkable, but there it is. And then um, we also see a woman get killed by, I guess it's Electra who kills her um, with this knife right to her gut or, or her chest. And that was a little disturbing as well. So I'm just not enjoying it, and I'm sure there are people who are enjoying it, and good luck to you, but I just can't read it anymore. I was also really disturbed by the cover, which I posted on the blog a couple weeks back because it shows Spider-Man and Storm, and Storm is drawn um, with her midriff showing, of course, and these, they're not pants, I'm not quite sure what they are that she's got on, they're sort of... Um, I guess tights, but they go into these ridiculous boots that she has, and they are drawn so low on her body that um, if she had pubic hair, we'd be seeing it right here, because it would just pretty much be showing, and she really doesn't look like a superhero. She looks like a fuck toy. Um, you know, maybe she's super-powered, but by God, she's got to be fuckable first, so that's just another reason. So I'm sorry, but bye-bye, Spidey. No more of this. But maybe for fun, I'll, I'll get out some of my actual old Spider-Man comics and go read those, because those will make me happy. Okay, that's the only thing I'm going to complain about this week, so you can all relax now. Let's talk about some good stuff. Um, 
I was a guest on David Arroyo's Comic Makers podcast uh, um, from last week, and I put up a link to that at my blog. It was show number 19. And one of the comics I talked about was called Zoe's Blues, um, and David had very kindly sent this to me because this was produced in Puerto Rico, and I'm guessing one would have a hard time finding it here, but I'll put in a link to get more information on it. And it was done by um, Rosa Colon, who did another, um, I think, self published comic in Puerto Rico that I quite liked called TikTok and this is her new one and she's done it with um she did the art and the story was by Carla Rodriguez and I just love it it's a wonderful wonderful comic book it's so simple but it's it's a beautifully told story it's the part I guess part one of I don't know how many parts but it, it's great um about a girl named Zoe who has superpowers and she's in a superpowered family but she doesn't really want to be a super superhero and her powers are more of a pain in the ass than anything else um, she wants to be a journalist, and her parents kind of want her to go into the family business, and they're sort of sad that she doesn't want to. And it has some reminiscences about how tough her childhood was in some ways. And in the course of the story, she meets a cute guy, but she's a little want- freaked out by the fact that her powers are not completely controlled and how he's going to react to that. And um, the art is just lovely, and there's a beautiful, beautiful use of color in that different parts of the book have different shadings so the first part when she's out about in the city is all orangey and she's at home and everything is kind of a blue and then in her memories of her childhood it's sort of this nice yellowy greeny color so the colors give you a clue as to where you are whether you're in the past or the present or in a different location and um it's it's like I said very simply told I love that about it there's not a whole lot of dialogue but what's there is really meaningful so I I love Zoe's Blues I think it's great I can't wait for the next one can't wait for it to come out also I have here um, the trade of Halo and Sprocket which was a comic that I had talked about a couple weeks ago as well Um, and these are stories by Kerry Callan and this collection is called Welcome to Humanity and uh, it, this is volume one, which is great. I can't wait for more. And it collects Halo and Sprocket one through four, plus some extra stuff as well. And um, she explains in <clears throat> the end of the book that the extras were either early pieces that she did or just some art that didn't fit in with the rest of them. Some of them are Halo and Sprocket, but then she's got some cat stuff here too, which I just love. It's so funny, and, and I, I just love her... Um, interpretation of what cats might be thinking, sort of their internal thought process. <laughs> and and this one is called, Are Cats Highly Intelligent or Just Plain Stupid? And then she gives examples of why they might be. She says, Have you ever seen your cat apparently sleeping with her head up? Why would she do that? And if the cat is smart, what she's thinking is, Nothing harmonizes the soul like practicing the ancient art of feline meditation. Breathe, breathe. But if the cat's really just stupid, the cat is thinking, nap time. Am I forgetting something? My eyes are shut, but I'm having a hard time going to sleep. <laughs> I like that too. Another example she says is, while resting on the back of your couch, your cat unexpected, unexpectedly slips and the cat is shown falling off the back of the couch, which I think we've all seen. And uh, this, if the cat is uh, smart... She's ignoring it and saying, I just fell off the couch. How embarrassing. Well, there's absolutely no reason to dwell on it. The wise accepts the past and quickly embraces the future. But if cats really are just stupid, the cat's thinking, what was that loud thud? I like milk. I think I'll lick my leg. (laughs) I love that. So funny. 
So there's also a really incredibly scary panel in here, um, which I didn't expect to find, um, where the angel plays a little trick <clears throat> on our heroine and uh, sort of pretends that he's a demon, I guess. And that was, uh, yeah, unexpected. But I, as I said before in my, my other review, I don't want to go over it all again. The uh, dialogue is wonderful. It's it's so wonderfully educated and true and really what you'd expect to hear from an angel and from a human and from a robot. And the three of them are all outside looking at clouds and um, they're all wondering, you know, what different ones look at. And the angel says, why can't you enjoy the shape of a cloud without pretending it's something else? No matter what humans are given, they insist on making something else out of it. They often too quickly search for the familiar and miss what truly exists. They force their own images onto the stars. They see faces in wood grain. And it's true. I think that's a very true thing. So I love these stories about Katie and her angel and her robot, and I can't wait to get more issues of these. So um, if you want to read Halo and Sprocket and you aren't able to get the individual issues, get the trade paperback. You will really like it. I promise. Okay, let's take a little break with some wonderful, lovely music by the composing diva, Ginger Mayerson, and then uh, I'll be back with more wonderful, fun stuff. Yay! also mention again that I'm going to be at San Diego Comic-Con, so if you're going and you'd like to meet up with me, because I would love to meet up with you, drop me an email, lena at troubledscience.com, or leave a comment at the old blog. I will be there because there's the comics podcasting panel, which is on Sunday, July 23rd from 11.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. in room 8. I don't know how big room 8 is. There's going to be a lot of people up there. I heard it's going to be like 10 of us on the panel, so... Um, even though it's an hour and a half, I don't think each of us is actually going to get to say very much, but it'll be way fun, way, way fun. And I would love for people to come and say hi and ask intelligent questions, I guess. That'll be cool. So yeah, San Diego Comic-Con. I can't believe it. It's happening really, really soon. I need to make my plane reservation. So what else do we have to talk about? Well, um, Carl Christian, the author of Byron, Mad, Bad, and Dangerous, sent me the new issue, which is issue number three, um, without me even asking. He just sent me a copy of it, and I was so pleased. Byron, you may remember, is the story of um, a club kid named Byron who fancies himself quite the lord of the, the darkness and the underworld, but he's really just sort of a maladjusted club kid. But he falls in with actual real vampires and evil people, and this is the continuing story of him getting into and hopefully out of real dire trouble. And I don't want to go too deeply into the plot. I talked about Byron, the storyline of Byron, um, in depth a couple shows ago. And this issue just continues with the insanity. And it's really good. I love the art. It's still funny. Byron is still basically clueless in a lot of ways. Um, and I'm... I'm really curious to see how he's going to get out of it. Um, there's also 
some really sort of sad stuff that happens as well. And uh, some things that I didn't quite understand at the end, which I'm hoping are going to be clarified in the next issue. But there is mayhem and violence and people getting killed. And uh, we're going to see if evil triumphs or if good actually can win. So uh, if you've been reading Byron so far, definitely pick up issue number three, which is available. I'll put up the link to uh, Carl's Gmail because I think that's how you have to get it right now, unless your comic book store carries it, which would be so incredibly fabulous. And if you haven't started reading Byron, I would definitely advise you to buy issues one through three and uh, rip through them because you will definitely like it. Funny and dark all at the same time. And then we have... Heroes Reboard, which is done by um, David Arroyo, who I've mentioned before, who has the Comic Makers podcast, along with uh, Charlie Mongual. And this is their first effort at a, um, I don't want to say a parody of a superhero comic book, because it's not. It is still a superhero comic book, but it's done with a lot of humor. And it takes the superheroes and puts them more down at a personal level. Um, as an example, it starts with our two heroes the and they have great names by the way i love the names of all the superheroes in here um one guy is named the imagineer and the other guy is uh dynamic dan so they're just sitting around in the coffee shop and talking about what they're doing and uh one of them's trying to tell a story the imagineer is saying uh yeah so i'm out fighting uh garantor and uh Dynamic Dan says, what's he like in person? Does he talk an alien? And he says, no, he talks human. You mean English? And he says, can I finish my story? <laughs> so they go on just kind of swapping stories. And um, he did so good that um, he got to meet up with uh, the Astros, A-S-T-R-O-S. And there's a period after each of those. So presumably it stands for something. And the names of the guys are uh, Dr. Weird and Captain Courageous and Steel Man and Jack Hurricane. Um and they gave him uh, the ultimate nullifier. And Dynamic Dan says, what are you going to do with it? It's the most powerful weapon in the universe. And Imagineer says, I'm thinking of using it as an MP3 player. It holds like a trillion songs. So uh, Dynamic Dan is sort of having a midlife crisis. He's not quite sure if he's going to be a, a famous superhero. He wants to be a famous superhero, but mostly he spends his time getting people's cats out of trees and all that. And with him and his buddies, they're trying to uh, get a little more publicity and uh, so this is the story sort of, of of how they're trying to do that. And there's some really, really funny writing in here. And uh, there's a little fight scene that he has with a guy called Gladiator. And if you look at my blog, you'll see from a, a couple posts ago that I put up a scan of one of these where um, Dynamic Dan clocks Gladiator. And when Gladiator falls, it's a great, great drawing of him facing the camera with his legs sort of spread wide open. And that's the kind of thing I want to see more of in comic books. So it's really funny, and these guys have a great friendship. Um, it's going to be a continuing series. The art's lovely. The coloring is beautiful. It's so nice. It's bright. You can see everything. Um, the art's, like, nice and clear. So um, big props for this being a, a, an effort. I want to say a local effort because, you know, these guys are from Puerto Rico, but it's not just a local effort. It's a really good comic, and I will definitely put up the link so that you guys can all pick up a copy because it's really, really good. Okay, and next on the pile. Isn't this fun? We're just zipping through this stuff so fast, and I'm being, like, so good and loving everything. <laughs> this is a copy of 49ers. Um, 
I had discovered Top Ten a while ago, and like it was one of those things that I totally missed the boat on, but got to read it and really, really, really liked it. And um, my good friend Chris very kindly sent me this beautiful hardcover copy of, of 49ers. Thank you, Chris. That's so nice of you. So that I could get more of the story. And I, and I like this. Um, I talked about Smacks as well, which I also liked quite a lot, which had a different artist. But this is drawn by Jean Ha, who also did um, Top Ten. So the art is, you know, I was expecting it to look more like Top Ten, but he's taken a slightly different tack on it here. It's much more photorealistic. And because this is supposed to take place um, just after the equivalent of World War II in whatever parallel universe this is. Uh, the coloring is really interesting. It's done almost in um, sepia tone. It's it's almost that way, except that there are a lot of grays in it. So it's 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 like black and white with a little sepia tone washed over the top. And, and uh, the art is slightly more, um, I don't want to say antique looking, but maybe old fashioned looking is the way to put it. And of course, it has all of the usual jokes with all the comic book characters in just about every panel. But the comic book characters are more like ones you would expect to see for that time. Like the panel I'm looking at right here is um, they get out of the cab and the cab driver is Bluto, right, from Popeye. But it's the old Bluto, the one that you used to see in the Fleischer Brothers cartoons where he's really big. And uh, like even before that, but in the in the um, newspaper cartoons is what he actually looks like here. So that's sort of the, the flavor that you get for it. Really kind of old fashioned. Um, and it, it follows the exploits of uh, Steve Trainer, who we saw in Top Ten as the the uh, chief, of, the captain, I think. And at that time, he was Jet Lad, um, as it says, fresh from the battle-torn skies of Europe. And he uh, comes to Neapolis with um, Lenny Muller, who was the Sky Witch, and they um, face fighting crime in Neapolis. And uh, there's a really interesting plot that happens here. Um, and you kind of wonder how they're going to solve it. And the way in which it's solved is really interesting. Like, I totally didn't see coming what was going to happen. And, you know, it's Alan Moore, so you know it's going to be pretty well written. Um, so there's the good against evil plot that happens here, which is great. And then there's also the subplot of what's going to happen to Steve, who's um, finally admitting that he's gay um, with uh, Wolf of the Sky Sharks and... If you read Top Ten, of course, you know he's the guy that, that he ends up with, and this is the story of how they come together. And that's nice, too. It's, I think, very, very well done. Um, so since it's just post-World War II, there's, like, Nazis and lots of leftovers from the war and um, some really interesting vampire guys who are there in the city um, and lots of other interesting um, old old-fashioned new stuff. You know, it reminded me in a lot of ways of Brazil, the movie Brazil, the Terry Gilliam movie. Um, Terry Gilliam tends to rely really heavily on that stuff, you know. Brazil is, is set in the future, but they're all using um, weirdly modernized old things like old rotary dial phones and old teletype machines or typewriters that have been adapted into computers. And that is the sort of feel you get from uh, 49ers. And... Uh, the one thing, and Joan of Arc is in it too, which is pretty damn cool. Um, the one thing that I didn't understand, because right after I got done talking about Top Ten and, and my some my dissatisfaction with the way the gay characters were treated, somebody said, read, top, read 49ers and you'll understand more about why gay people are treated like they are in Top Ten. So I did, but I still don't understand it. Um, if this is supposed to be a parallel universe to ours, because it clearly isn't our world, 
um, why is there still prejudice against gay people? Or why did Alan Moore choose to portray prejudice against gay people? Because I could see that um, the love story here between Steve and Wolf would still have worked just fine if there hadn't been all this overt prejudice against gay people. I mean, it could have just been because he's very young and, and Wolf is older. You know, that that's an issue in a relationship. And also because um, they don't know each other very well and they work together. And there could be a lot of reasons why you wouldn't want to rush into a relationship or admit that you really like someone straight off the bat. So I, I still question the need to... Um, have that kind of prejudice. Maybe he's trying to make a statement about today's prejudice against gay people. I don't know, but I still feel like gay people sort of get the short end of the stick on this. Um, there's some good gore in here, which I like quite a lot. Um, somebody's head gets lopped off, and uh, there's some black blood, which is always interesting. There's some fairly creepy stuff as well, which made me rather uncomfortable um, when some people get uh, tortured to death. But, you know, these things happen when you're dealing with vampires. Um, so, in general, yeah, yeah, really, really liked 49ers, and I'm so glad that I have it to go along with Top 10 right now, because it's really good. So, of course, all you people who are listening, I'm sure read 49ers a million years ago, and none of this is news to you, but I'm just discovering it and liking it so very, very, very much. So that made me happy, too. So now I'm going to take another little break and then come back to talk about um, my last happy thing, which made me very, very happy indeed. So uh, let's have another one of those beautiful Ginger Mayerson musical breaks. do some little uh, commercial spots so that you don't flip through them at the end of the show, I would like to thank my sponsors, as always, the Lincoln Heights Literary Society, liheliso.com. You will find many wonderful reviews of things, um, some that I've written and many more by other people, and lots and lots of manga reviews there. If you like manga and you want to read some fun reviews, hop on over there to the review section. You will enjoy it. I would also like to mention Comic Relief, the only comic book store that matters, to me anyway, located at 2026 Shattuck Avenue in Berkeley, California. And if you go over there, um, do some shopping, and please tell them that I sent you. Several people have written and said that they went and told those people that I sent them, and and everyone seemed well pleased by that. So, yay, Uh, Comic Relief is wonderful, and I'm about to go down there myself. Um... I would also like to mention some places that you can go. Um, when Fangirls Attack, which is womeninincomics.blogspot.com, for continuing lists of very interesting articles, blogs, about women and comics. And it gets better and better all the time. There's something posted just about every day and sometimes more than, than once a day. And to go along with that, I highly recommend that you hop on over to girlwonder.org, which is a collection of sites dedicated to women in mainstream comics. Um, pretty superhero-y and some wonderful rants, great discussions on the forum, and lots and lots of good articles posted. So those are the things that I read in general. 
And now, let me talk about the very last thing that... Oh, no, wait. I have two things to talk about that made me happy. Oh, my God. How could I have forgotten? Let me do this one first. Um, I recently decided that I had to give in to temptation, and I started buying the archive editions of The Legion of the Superheroes. This is because I have a lot of these comics myself, all this Silver Age stuff. And I was taking them out of the bags, and I was reading them, and they're so fragile, and I, I hate to just even turn the pages. You know, I feel like I should have gloves on or be turning them with tweezers or something like that. And it was really impeding my enjoyment of the comics to have to treat these fragile things so carefully. So I put them all back in the bags, and I said, all right, I'm going to spend the money. And so now I'm buying these archive editions, and um, for me... This is pretty much like crack, because I know that they're up to, like, number, I don't know, 22 or something, and I'm going back and buying the early ones, the ones that I'm really interested in. The one I happen to have here is um, Volume 5, and um, this is the Legion uh, just when Jim Shooter was coming on board, and the art was all by Kurt Swan, and oh my god, I love the way Kurt Swan draws the Legion characters. I just love it to death. This is the stuff I grew up on, you know. This has such a huge resonance for me of sitting at home by myself, of course, being a geek, and reading these articles, these these comics over and over again on hot summer days and, and in the winter when it was really cold, and just loving it so much because it was so interesting and cool and so involved in, in the, in the storylines and so not angsty. I think that's what I really appreciated is that most of these stories are pretty much straight ahead. And also, I got to say, I love Saturn Girl, you know, the de facto leader of the Legion. She doesn't wear high heels. She has a great uniform that doesn't show any skin whatsoever. And she's just, she's such a hard ass. I love her. She's great. Um, (laughs) This one happened to have, and I didn't know it when I bought it, but of course it has a story about the Legion of the Substitute Heroes who are like my favorite characters ever because they're just so goofy and they have these powers that border on you know disability basically um turning into stone you know not really the kind of superpower that i would want to have but there he is um the, the legion of the super pets are also featured pretty significantly in here which also cracks me up because they're so incredibly goofy um and these particular issues had the storylines that I remember really well, like the fact that Starboy got expelled from the Legion because he had killed somebody on purpose. And, uh, you know, that was a big deal. This was also the run where uh, Triplicate Girl got one of her selves killed and turned into Duo Damsel, and that was a big deal as well. So um, they added a couple new Legion members as well. Uh, Jim Shooter came on right at the very end of it, and that was when uh, Karate Kid was introduced too. But man, I just love me some Legion, so I'm starting to get all the other archive editions so that I can read them. But, oh, they are awfully good. And yeah, no high heels on Saturn Girl. Although I have to say, in one, it sort of looks like they added some heels for whatever reason, but then she was back to being flat-footed in the next one, so that was great. Um, There's also, i got to say, in this one story um, where they have a jinx put on them, um, and uh, Saturn Girl gets imprisoned by these guys who are calling themselves the Luck Lords, and it turns out it's all a big scam. You know, that's the other thing I really like about the Legion, is that they're all so practical, right? Right at the very beginning of this, when people are talking about a jinx, Let's see if I can uh, find the exact um, passage here. But people are claiming that there's some sort of jinx, and they're saying, uh, 
let's see, got to find it. Um, they're all like, oh, you don't believe in that jinx. That's superstitious hogwash. Um, and, and they're all, uh, yeah. So Saturn Girl, Saturn Girl, I love Saturn Girl, says, um, well, Sunboy says, Brainiac 5 will get well soon, but I'm worried that his computer-type mind might be affected. This really was an ill-starred mission. Saturn Girl says, ill-starred my eye. As a legionnaire with scientific training, you surely can't believe the stars influence your life. Oh, awesome. She should be in skeptics like me. Anyway, I just love that kind of stuff. So at the very end of this, she gets imprisoned by the Luck Lords, and, and um, they have to come and, and help her get out. But they call on the super pets to come and help them because they can't be uh, controlled by uh, the, the thought hypnosis of the Luck Lords. And uh, it's Comet, the horse, who does most of the work. But there's a panel at the end, which I must scan, which shows Comet menacing one of the aliens. And he looks about as pissed off as a horse can possibly look. <laughs> it's hilarious, but it's great at the same time. He's got his big horse face about six inches away from the alien. And he is just giving him such a stare. I mean, if looks could kill, that guy'd be on the floor. So yeah, Comet is back and he's pissed. Oh, Legion, how I love you. Okay, so now let me get to the last bit. And this came to me by way of somebody who was selling off their comic book collection. And I just bought it because I saw the name Barry Windsor Smith attached to it. And I didn't really understand what it was. And I can't believe nobody told me about this before, knowing that I have this fetish for Barry Windsor Smith, which is now an obsession. Because this is like the coolest thing. When I got it in the mail and I opened it up and I realized it was Barry Windsor Smith drawing Wolverine. I went, oh, <laughs> it was amazing. This is the trade paperback of Weapon X. And this is the most amazing thing ever. How I love Barry Windsor Smith. Barry fucking Windsor fucking Smith drawing fucking Wolverine in Weapon fucking X. It is so awesome. So as I'm reading it, you know, I, I don't know that much about Wolverine's origins aside from what I kind of glean because I haven't read X-Men regularly in years and years and years. Like, I've seen the X-Men movies, and I know that. And um, I saw all the stuff in <clears throat> X-Men 2 where he goes back to the place in the dam and all that. Um, but I just, you know, didn't really know what this story was, and I didn't realize that it had been done in comics and that Barry had drawn it. And this is just so good. I mean... When people talk about comics and wonder whether comics are an art form unto themselves, all you would have to do would be to pick up this book and you would immediately see that this this is an example of how high an art comics can actually be because it, it's it's the product of one person taking an established character and telling a story but telling it in a way that effort let's say effortlessly seamlessly melds the writing and the art together the words are part of the story and the story is the words but it's the art at the same time and you have to pay attention to everything in every single panel in fact i had to read it through several times before i finally got a lot of what was going on and that's not because i don't know the x-men stuff it's just because it's a very um the story is woven throughout. There are so many threads that you have to try and pick up on, and there are so many subtle things in each of the panels. It is really amazing. So, in case you don't know, it's the story of how Wolverine got turned into Wolverine. Back when he was just plain old mutant Logan, who could heal himself really quickly, he gets kidnapped and taken to this uh, experimental lab, and they inject him with adamantium, um, adamantium 
which cracks me up every time I see it because I see the name Adamant in it. And uh, then he escapes, or is allowed to escape, I suppose. And it's just the story of how it goes down. And uh, man, it's violent. It's extremely violent. There's tons of blood and tons of gore. There's a lot of people who get killed. There's animals that get killed. There's a lot of really creepy, gross-looking surgery. Would you call it surgery? Wolverine's kind of floating in this tank, and they've got all these tubes going into him that's injecting him with the metal. And then when he comes to, he's still kind of awake with all these little tubes and wires and crap sticking out of him. He's pissed. He's really, really pissed off. And um, there's a lot of blood that happens. But, oh, it is so beautiful. The art is just amazing. Even in the scenes of extreme violence, the art is still beautiful and conveys it with this totally weird grace. Um, I should mention that Wolverine is naked throughout. And you know what? A naked Wolverine in, oh, how many pages is this? Like a 200-page book? That's pretty much okay with me, too. And um, I will scan at least one of the panels in here where he's looking, looking like Wolverine, you know, like short, chunky, muscular guy. And I have to say, when he's being totally uh, freaked out Wolverine, his hair doesn't look nearly so stupid as it does, like when Hugh Jackman is wearing it in the movies, where it just looks kind of dumb. So, I don't, I can't really say enough about this. You know, all the regular characters are there, all of the, the, um, Wolverine origin story people. So it's Dr. Thornton and um, Dr. Cornelius and Dr. Carol Hines. And, you know, she's pretty much the only woman in here. She doesn't have much of a role, but um, at least she's not a a whimpering female. You know, she she does her job pretty well. And um, she gets put in danger at one point and, and Wolverine sort of saves her. But I don't think he saves her because she's a woman. I think he just saves her because she's another human being. And she seems to be pretty much just as heartless as everybody else. She's not portrayed, I don't think, as a weak woman, any more so than anybody else that's in here. Um, The way that the faces are drawn are are just amazing. Everybody looks really different from each other. They have very, um, what's the right word, characterful? Their faces are, are like you would expect character actors in a movie to be, you know? They all look different. Nobody really looks handsome. Logan certainly doesn't look handsome in here. Um, and they're all very, very distinctive from each other. And the use of color is just amazing as well. Um, Barry did the coloring on this as well, I'm pretty sure. Let me just check in the front. Uh, it says writer-artist, so I'm pretty sure he did the coloring. And the coloring is just all, like, over the top. In the scenes where there's blood, the blood is really red. There's these scenes when he's floating in this um, tank, and it's all reds and pinks and oranges, and some changes in it are, are, are really subtle as the time goes on, where the color of the water kind of changes from a, a light to a dark, and you see all the bubbles coming up and coming up, and they uh, make some other points really subtly in here, like when they bring him in, they, they shave his head, and course during the course of this treatment his hair completely grows back and that's partly how they figure out that he's a mutant because they don't know he's a mutant when he comes in there and you know when he looks pissed off he looks really fucking pissed off this is such an intense comic um it i couldn't actually read it all the way through the first time because i felt a little overwhelmed like a really loud 
um, uh, intense movie. It, it was as much like that. Um, his, I mean, I just can't get over the things he does in the art. You know, there'll be a scene where uh, a lot of this is told from the point of view of the doctors, right? So they're observing him because once they take him in, we don't really get to have his point of view again until the very end because he's sort of fucked up on, he's drugged and he's not thinking clearly and he doesn't really know what's going on because all this has happened to him. And so uh, a lot of the dialogue is given in these little boxes where the, the scientists are supposed to be observing him. So they see when um, the blades finally shoot out of his arm, the next panel will show like an, not even an x-ray, but like a, a, a deep version of his arm with the blades coming out of it. And, and he's drawn, you know, the shape of the arm with all the bone underneath and um, the major arteries and veins running through it. Um, and then it, there'll be the next panel after that is a close-up on how the adamantium is sort of bonded to the bone. It's unbelievable. I mean, who draws like this? Nobody that I know is doing anything like this. Barry fucking Windsor fucking Smith. He is a genius. And this is one of the best things that I've ever gotten. I am so happy to have it. So I will just continue in my praises of him. You know, Wolverine, Conan, the supermodel. This man can pretty much do no wrong in my eyes. So uh, this Weapon X book was published. Let me check it out here. 1994. And um, the comics came out actually a bit before that I think and then it was finally all collected up into this and you know I was looking on Amazon and it looks like there's a new edition of it coming out maybe another hardcover that maybe has some extra stuff in it so I'll have to check out what it is but for now I am pretty happy with having this oh man (laughs) that was just so good so a nice short show wrapping it all up right here so happy with all the things that I have. Next show, Promise, is going to be the first of the two-part interview with Leah Hernandez, and then I'll try to get the second part up um, quickly thereafter. I'm going to close with some really funky music that is in my head, and it's the music from um, the Penn & Teller show called Bullshit that's on Showtime, which um, I downloaded off the Internet, and I say that proudly because Penn says it's okay with him and Teller. People download their shows off the Internet, so I did. And it's wonderful. I just love it. It's one of the best things that I've been watching lately. And I just love the theme music. It's so cool and funky, and it's a happy little tune as well. So I'm going to close with that, and you can listen to it, and go watch some bullshit if you get the chance. (laughs) 